0: On this week's edition of New York Now, we examine Governor Kathy Hochul's 2025 executive budget and unpack the governor's approach to housing and the ongoing migrant crisis. Then we discuss what goes into running for office and the importance of competitive elections. I'm Chantel Destra, and this is New York Now.
1: Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation fight
2: like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will.
0: Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Chantal Destra. This week would have marked the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which established federal protections for abortions. After the Supreme Court overturned the landmark decision in 2022, New York codified abortion rights. And Democrats have continued to focus on the issue in the years since. And this year is no different. We're here today to stand resolute in protecting the reproductive rights of our constituents. It's our duty to ensure that New York remains a safe haven for individuals to make their own choices about their reproductive health.
3: As trigger bans, and sweeping restrictions are passed across the
0: nation in the wake of the Dobbs decision, we knew that state legislatures would be on the front line of defense in this fight. This week, the Democratic-led Senate majority passed a slew of bills meant to support reproductive rights, including measures that would establish a grant program to increase access to abortion care, expand access to doula care, and other measures. The bills are expected to be passed in the assembly soon. Governor Kathy Hochul also gave remarks at the Planned Parenthood Day of Action, where she underscored the state's commitment to abortion access in the years to come. And as you may recall, the governor gave her State of the State address earlier this month. She then followed up on the details on how to implement those proposals in her executive budget. Naturally, the budget focused on the policy issues of the address, including crime, public health and affordability. It also offered insight into how the governor plans to address two of the more controversial issues the state is battling. Those issues are the state's housing crisis and the influx of migrants to New York City. Our team was on the ground at the state capitol to capture it all. After delivering her vision for the year in the State of the State Address earlier this month, Governor Kathy Hochul followed up with the framework in her fiscal year 25 executive budget unveiling.
1: And today, New York was to learn about how we're presenting a solid, balanced budget without cuts or added burdens.
0: The $233 billion budget would be the largest budget in the state's history. And according to the governor, it was accomplished without raising income taxes.
1: Now there is growth. State spending is up nearly $6 billion over last year. That's a 4.5% increase year over year and across our major spending categories. This budget proves that you can have fiscal discipline and that can coexist with people-driven progressive policies. Uh, and we did it with a laser focus on the needs of everyday New Yorkers. Now, in the coming year, with our partners in the legislature, we're going to take on some of the stubborn issues. All while
0: advocates and progressive lawmakers have called on Hochul to increase taxes on wealthy New Yorkers. The governor's proposal emphasized crime, public health, affordability, health care, and helping the state's economy.
1: But the truth is, we can't spend like there's no tomorrow because tomorrow always comes.
0: After glossing over the topic in her State of the State address, all eyes were on the governor to give more detail on how she planned to help address the migrant crisis this year. Last year, the state provided $1.9 billion in funding to help with the influx of migrants. This year, the governor proposed $2.4 billion to help with the crisis, 500 million of which will come from the state's reserves, which the governor's office said is intended for use during one-time emergencies.
1: We're doing this not just because it's the right thing to do for the migrants, And for the city of New York, we also know that companies won't do business in New York if there are thousands of people sleeping on the streets, or the quality of life is dramatically impacted because the city is forced to cut essential services. We must support the city of New York in this moment to avoid these disastrous effects and to protect our economy and state revenues in the short term and long term as well.
0: When asked by reporters about using the state's reserves to help fund the migrant crisis, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty maintained reserves should be used in times of need.
4: You know, great reserves, rainy day funds, it's supposed to be for difficult times. I think this is a difficult time. Um, in, 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 so using reserves for this, I think it <laughs> actually fits the, uh, the price
0: Meanwhile, Assembly Republican Minority Leader William Barclay placed blame on Democrats for not addressing the root causes of the issues.
2: Well, here we go. I mean, how come we were in this situation? Well, because we have a Democratic administration in, in Washington that hasn't addressed the border crisis, has not secured the border. I'm um, pleased at least she said she's going to go back down to Washington uh, next week. I think she said she's going to advocate for a more secure border and then look for federal money to help pay for this. I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, I'm not thrilled to have to spend any money on the migrant crisis. I don't think using our rainy day funds is the right idea. I, I would join her in trying to advocate for the federal government to pick up the tab.
0: The minority leader also said he was pleased that the governor addressed issues the conference has prioritized, including outmigration, crime and affordability. State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins said there is more to come with upcoming budget negotiations.
5: Uh, obviously, we have committed to continue to financially help New York City, and this is her approach. And we're going to talk about you know her approaches to to a lot of things in the budget. And that's why this is going to be an exciting we really season. Right. We can't wait.
0: Another aspect of the governor's executive budget that gained traction was housing. Following the fight over housing between the governor and the legislature last year, the governor's executive budget provided the details of a more modest housing plan.
1: When I presented a transformative housing plan last year, a lot of the members of the legislature said they wouldn't support it. Others said they wanted local control for housing decisions. Okay, let's put that to the test. New York City, a local government, should get the control, the local control they've been asking for.
0: This year, the governor called for a new tax incentive program, office building conversions, and the legalization of basement apartments to help the housing crisis in New York City.
1: Now as governor, I'll continue to take executive actions on housing. And I heard loud and clear from my friends in the legislature that they believe more in in carrots than sticks. Let's do that too. To incentivize housing growth in the suburbs and for, in particular, transit-oriented development, which makes all the sense in the world. So how we'll do that, we'll put the carrots to test as well.
0: And on a statewide level, the governor proposed developing 15,000 housing units at state-owned sites and requiring localities to receive pro-housing certificates to access state funding. But progressive lawmakers and advocates have been pushing the governor to focus on tenant protections. And advocates doubled down on their calls for those protections in the days after the unveiling of the executive budget. At a rally, Tracy Adams, a local organizer with Vocal New York, calls on HOCUL to invest in the Housing Access Voucher Program and enact a budget that would ensure equal access to HIV housing assistance.
5: Yeah, I covered a whole state of New York. In 2020, my landlord evicted me. That was during the pandemic. But I want to tell you something, if we had rest-of-state housing, I wouldn't have to leave my home and go to another city looking for
0: housing. Advocates will continue to call on the governor to take action on a slew of other high profile legislative priorities, including taxes on the wealthy, safe injection sites, and support health based approaches to crime. The release of the executive budget means budget negotiations are underway. The legislature has released a public hearing schedule. Over the next few weeks, New Yorkers will give their input on various aspects of the state's budgets, including health, mental hygiene, education, public protection, and more. Budget negotiations are officially underway. Now that the executive budget has been released, both chambers of the legislature will unveil their respective One House budgets in the upcoming weeks. The governor and legislative leaders will attempt to come to an agreement on a final budget to meet the April 1st deadline. We'll continue to bring you updates on developments right here on the show. Now switching gears to another topic. While trying to prioritize their respective legislative priorities, members of the Senate and Assembly will also need to balance the challenges of running for re-election. To examine the pivotal elements of running a campaign, And to understand the importance of competitive elections, we'll be sharing a New York and Running for Office episode. Welcome to New York and Running for Office. I'm your host, Chantelle Destra. In previous episodes, we've gone over ways to participate in the civic process, like voting and organizing. But what about actually being a candidate yourself? Running for office doesn't necessarily mean running for a high-ranking position, like governor or state senator. It could be something hyper-local, like a spot on your school board or town council. These are roles that may seem small in scale, but can have a big impact on the place you live. In this episode, we'll talk about the basic process of running for office and the importance of competitive elections in our system of governance. We'll also speak with folks in elected positions about their experiences in the election process. Before we get into the process of running for office, we'll talk about the importance of competitive elections. Competitive elections can make for a healthier democratic process. It is not uncommon for local elections to feature candidates running unopposed, which can result in less ideas being brought to the table and lower voter turnout. This is not to say that running unopposed makes a candidate uninspired or not tuned into their community by any means. But candidates in tight competitive elections will be vying for a greater share of votes, which can lead them to pay closer attention to what their potential constituents want. This process can make the election more representative of the needs and wants of the community. And this gets to the core reason of why we wanted to make this episode. State politics obviously have a big impact on New Yorkers' lives, but local politics can also have a greater impact on lives and communities than one might think. And that is why New Yorkers across the state deserve healthy, competitive elections in their towns, cities, and counties. This is all to say, if you have a deep understanding and a finger on the pulse of the wants and needs of your community, you could be part of improving the quality of elections in your area by throwing your hat in the ring. But how do you know you're ready to make the jump? We spoke with State Senator Jake Ashby about what drove him to initially get involved in politics and how he knew he was ready to run.
2: I felt a calling towards it, to be honest with you. I was first elected to the Rensselaer County Legislature in 2017, uh, but prior to that, I had uh, dipped my toes in it a little bit, just helping out with campaigns and local issues at the village level. And uh, that's what kind of piqued my interest. I really look at it as an extension of public service related to uh, serving in the Army. When I got out of the Army, I missed that element. I was really fortunate to have uh, a great career to fall back on and education to pursue, but I missed that element of public service and that's what got me into politics.
0: So the process of running for office can vary depending on the position you're looking to fill, where you are running, and whether you're running as part of a political party or as an independent. Oftentimes, to get your name on the ballot, you will need to collect signatures from registered voters on forms such as nominating or designating petitions. The type of forms you need to fill out can get a little complicated based on where you're running and for what, but we've included helpful state resources in the description and you can always reach out to the Board of Elections, be it state or county, with any questions. So we went over getting your name on the ballot, but there's still everything else related to running a campaign. Fundraising, for example, can affect the scale of your campaign and your ability to promote yourself as a candidate. Some candidates like to run grassroots campaigns, which connect with local, like-minded issue groups, and then further develop a volunteer base by connecting with passionate community members. Grassroots campaigns also tend to fundraise through facilitating a large number of small donations from potential constituents or individuals who want to support the campaign. Donations have to be reported to the state or to the Federal Election Commission, depending on the type of election and the size of the contributions, as there are varying campaign finance laws and contribution limits in play. As we've said, the way you run a campaign can vary based on the scope and scale of the election you're in as well as the needs of the communities you want to represent. We spoke with Tabitha Wilson about her philosophy on running for office and the approach she took when running for the Board of Education for Albany City School District
3: running for office is probably taking organizing to its next logical end. And I think a lot of times really at its fundamental level, running for public office is about helping people, about sort of naming, identifying the things that is not working for everyone. And then working at a policy level or legislative level, changing things to improve it for the collective. I think 40% of our students are um, Black. So thus, I felt like What is this opportunity to sort of like represent the needs, the the notions, the ideas, the values, you know, to be an underrepresented group but to pursue public office, I think is sort of like writing some historical things in some ways and also like overcoming that missing voice that often people are speaking about. We have groups and, you know, sectors that are not super engaged in voting and it's because they have apathy or deep disappointment, deep mistrust, right, of the political process. I did a lot to show up in a way that i don't know has had happened historically i don't know if, uh school board members had gone to all of these sort of other groups meetings such as naacp or um for example, the Urban League. But I went to all of the meetings, all the conferences, not in a sense of, oh, I'm your candidate, I'm running for office, in a sense that I wanna learn about, yes, our school system is one thing, how does the entire community work together?
0: State Senator Jake Ashby also spoke with us about the importance of connecting with people and gave some advice to folks thinking about running for office in the future.
2: I enjoy going out into the district and meeting people. We did uh, mobile office hours in all the towns and uh, that was that was really interesting. Uh, sometimes you only had a couple people show up. sometimes we had a whole room full. It gave me a good idea of what the issues were in you know that particular area on uh, what people were going to be vocal about. We'll go to you know different rallies or different events that are going on you know, whether it's fairs or different community events that are going on in uh, different towns and cities. I think that's important during the campaign, but it's important to do year-round because you represent that area and it's important to stay connected. You have to be able to, uh, I think, balance opposing ideas in a way that is palatable, and you have to be able to communicate that to people who, may be very opposed, and trying to find common ground with them. Start local, uh, whether it's at the village level, uh, uh, city level, and I would just start volunteering. If there's an issue that you're passionate about, you know, get out there and try to advance it, uh, and then build on that. You know, Continue to build on that. It can be frustrating at times, but uh, you have to have thick skin. You know that's part of that's that's part of the job is to being able to, you know, handle criticism and take criticism uh, and keep going.
0: The quality of our local county and state governments can only be as good as the people we elect to run them. One of the ways we can improve governance and the quality of elections is to make sure that fresh ideas are exchanged among quality candidates. Maybe you could be one of them. But that's all we'll get to today. Be well and see you next time. And as the piece underscored, it might not be outrageous to consider running for office yourself. You can find more information about campaigns and how to get civically involved in your local community on our website. That's at nynow.org. Next, as part of WMHT's series on stories and solutions on opioids in New York, we'll be sharing an episode focused on the peer advocate work being done at a Schenectady-based treatment facility. Here's that episode.
1: Peer recovery advocates are folks who have been in recovery themselves and are interested in helping others find a path toward a different life. New Choices Recovery Center is a schenectady-based substance use disorder treatment facility. Our peer advocates literally and figuratively save lives.
6: Peer advocate basically is someone with lived life experience. What I do is basically is like a resource broker um, and someone who can help a person um, get where they wanna be, um, but most importantly, be client-centered and meet them where they're at, understand where they're at and and just, just be their cheerleader.
4: I do have individuals that drop by my office and they just need a minute and we sit and we chop it up. But a lot of times I schedule certain sessions with individuals that I've worked with prior and now we're doing the maintenance work. Talking about those things that they're encountering, whether it's at work or at home, uh, challenges that they have, uh, so that they can continue uh, this journey, because it's not something, it's not a one trick pony. It's not like you get clean and sober, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything is just peachy keen. It doesn't work like that.
5: You can come to me and be honest without the chance of penalization. This is the safe space right here. What we say stays here. It's between you and I. I'm not a probation officer, I'm not a parole officer, I'm not a clinician.
6: I'm here to be like, "Yo, if you use, it's okay. But let's let's try to do something different. Let's wh- what's going to help you not want to use."
4: Because of my addiction, I was homeless right here in this area, right? In a five block radius. I've seen so many different situations I've been through so much. And so as a result, a lot of times when I sit down with persons, um, a lot of times I can identify with where they are because I've been there myself.
6: We can identify, we've been through the struggle. We know what it's like. You know, the common denominator is pain, feeling abandoned, low self-esteem, low self-worth and hatred, right? And resentments I carry towards myself, right? So that was the key to me, being getting free, you know, talking to someone about that.
1: The peers are the ones who had helped me the most in my journey. They can give you some honest advice because they have been through what you're going through and they just can really understand you on a different level. They just make you feel so not judged and comfortable because there can be such a, like, not great stigma around addicts. If I, you know, go back to the people I went to high school with, stuff like that, grew up with, just about
3: everybody has been kind of impacted in one way or another. That being said, um, I still feel like a lot of it's kind of talked about behind closed doors, right, where people aren't as open about um, a family member who's struggled or, um, you know, somebody who's died. Obviously, a lot of the stigma's kind of gone the other way compared to
5: when I was younger, but it's, like, it still exists. When people come to us, they're not in the best place in life. you know. You can't criticize them more than they do to themselves. They don't necessarily get like, "Hey, man, it's okay what you did and what's going on. Like this can be fixed. You're still worth some. You're still worth something. People still love you. You're worthy of love, and you can do this, man. Whatever word of encouragement I can speak to someone um, that wants to do better, that wants to get well, uh, is." Sometimes the only one they might hear that day. And I'm blessed to have you, grateful to have you in my life. Love you much. I love you too. All right. All right. Wife doing good?
4: We plant seeds, and I love watching them root and grow. And, and sometimes we're fortunate enough to see them flower and bloom.
5: I ran into a guy at a meeting that has two years clean, that still has the job that I wrote the reference letter for, right? So like, and whoa, to a normal person, that would be like, oh, yeah, cool. But to like me, that's why I do it.
4: If I can help someone, right, maybe they get 24 hours clean, maybe they are clean and sober for a day, you know what I mean? And prior to that, they never knew what that that felt like. You know, I I want them to be able to be free. That's that's why I do what I do. I want persons to get an opportunity to experience freedom. For more
0: information on the New Choices Recovery Center and the opioid crisis in New York, you can visit our website. Again, that's at nynow.org. That does it for this episode of New York Now. Thank you for tuning in and see you next week.
2: New York Now is provided by WNET.